Okay, I'm back revisiting Matt Mantle, who's done uh, a couple of previous betting people interviews. And Matt, it's safe to say that you, um, the opinion was sort of spread about you because you bet in running from home and you make it pay to the extent you've been a professional in running player for years and you're on the premium charge and all the rest of it. Um, people were fascinated by your interviews, but some were still saying, if you're watching behind other people, i.e. not fast pitches, it can't be done. So for the sake of the naysayers, can you uh, elaborate how it can be done and what you're looking for? You've got the, the TV there ready right. to show well, us. Well, in true Blue Peter style, here's one we set up earlier, um, which, yeah, I think gives a good example of the differences between race reading and, you know, betting with the quick pictures, if you like. Um, so this is the 2013 Derby. Um, we're going to be looking at this horse here, which is Dawn Approach, who came into this uh, on the back of winning the Guineas. Started a short price favourite for the Derby. Um, everybody knew it was the best horse or the fastest horse, certainly in the race. It was very much a question of would it stay. If it stayed, it would win the Derby. If it didn't, obviously it wouldn't. And there were big doubts on, on breeding and what have you. Um, so this is them coming into the straight. So as they come into the straight, you've basically got three possibilities here. One, he just quickens away and wins the Derby. Two, he's, you know, a partial stayer. Maybe he goes close and he just wins or he just gets touched off. Or three, he's an absolute non-stayer and they all go past him and he falls out the back of the telly. So if we play it here. There he is on the inside. And very quickly, the field starts to go past him and within you know strides it's all over and in another 50 yards he's going to be at the back of the telly so if indeed you are trying to lay that from home where you're at that time you would have been maybe two seconds behind things have improved a bit since then but if you're trying to lay that they're going to go past him i'm going to lay it that horse will have gone from favorite in running to a thousand to one within a second. So in that sense, absolutely, it can't be done. Um, however, if we rewind, this is a different perspective. This is the race from the start. You can see him there. Already taking quite a keen hold. Jockey's trying to get him settled in behind gets a bump there and really gets set alight. So now he's not just keen, but pulling far too hard. You can see the head reefing about there. Not a great sign. Um, this continues for an extraordinarily long time. You see the jockey almost standing up in the saddle, reining him back there. If you look at his body position, I mean, that's not just a bit keen, that's bordering on out of control. Um, and if we let it race on here, he's trying to get him settled in, get some cover, but he's racing out wide. Absolutely no cover. They've gone several furlongs by this point. And in a moment, he's going to be taken wide and basically tank his way to the front. If you still look at him here, this isn't a jockey who's, you know, he's keen, but I, I've got control. This is a horse, you know, largely running away. And in a moment, as they come around the bend, he can't really hold him any longer. The horse pulls his way to the front. He's making a big move here making it wide, having used up all that petrol. Still pulling. And at this point, pulls his way to the front, can't, can't hold him or decides maybe there's no point in trying to hold him anymore. Circles the field and gets to the front.
I'm going to pause it here. This is close to the point where we picked it up on the initial one. So you've had, what, a minute and a half there of racing. Um, to a man, everybody, every pundit, and there'll be probably quite a bit of talk about pundits in this interview, who watched that after the race. If you backed on approach, you knew you were done at halfway, couldn't possibly win, which is fair enough. But in running, uh, if I remember correctly, horse never went above five to two before they turned in. So you're looking at the biggest race of the year, hundreds of thousands of pounds traded in running, most of it or a large percentage of it on the favourite, and it never went above five to two. So on the one hand, you've got people saying, you knew that couldn't win at halfway, but that's the, the difference, if you like, between punditry and having skin in the game, punting and running. Are you prepared to put up the, the price that says that horse can't possibly win? So as I say, never went above five to two. And looking back, people would say, well, that's you know, free money, but there you have it. So that's, that's the difference. And you had, when you're talking about, you haven't, you've got a second to lay it as the field goes past, you had a minute and a half there. And with the Derby, the liquidity on that, if you wanted to lay it for a fiver, for 50 quid, for 500 quid, you know, you would have been absorbed easily into that market at those prices. So that's, I think, a pretty good way of encapsulating the difference between reading a race, looking at things that are happening further out, and just the, this is happening, click, 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 um, of, of maybe people on quicker pictures. And just for the sake of balance, because I thought it would be helpful to put in at this point, um, this is another derby from a few years earlier. Similar situation, exactly the same connections. Jim Bolger trained again, horse called New Approach, who was just touched off in the guineas, but again, coming to the derby, undoubtedly the fastest horse in the race, would he stay the trip? So if we play this, we pick him up. This is him here. And again, you can see very keen early stages. Jockey again, as we saw with Dawn Approach, trying to get him tucked in. But again, look, that, that head's coming up. The jockey's back in the saddle, way keener than he'd like. He's desperately trying to get him settled. Head's still throwing about. And again, as we saw with Dawn Approach, this isn't for 100 yards, 200 yards. It's a very stiff start to the derby. So expending energy at this point in the race, as he is for the length of time that he does, See, even there, the head's still thrown around. Look at that. So I'm showing this on account of the fact that, you know, to illustrate the in-running, ah, oh, yeah, doubtful stayer, pulled, finished out the back of the telly. Okay, I'll have some of this. Um, but if we whiz this on, we'll pick him up coming with his run here despite having pulled like a train, despite the stamina doubts, if you did put up big prices on account of the fact that he couldn't pull like that and win, then you have to take your medicine. He comes through and wins the derby. Okay, Matt, thanks for those examples. Now, you said in the first interviews that you did that you weren't a winning punter prize win running. So what enables you to do one and not the other? And what specific skills does an in-running punter need? Well, I certainly wasn't um, a winning punter. Um, I always would back my opinion and still do in, in kind of the high-level stuff. Um, I like to think I know what a Guinea's winner or a Derby winner looks like and, and in the 
championship races at Cheltenham, but in the nitty gritty kind of day in, day out stuff, uh, yeah, I certainly wasn't a winning punter. Um, and if you were to say there's the five day decks for the big handicap on Saturday, go blind and, and, and make a tissue on that, then yeah, I, I would embarrass myself. I certainly don't have the, the tools to do that. Um, in the early, for quite a few years, I think when I was doing it, even when it was my job to do it, I think I had a bit of an imposter syndrome knowing that there were much better punters than me out there and that, you know, one of these days they're going to discover in running betting and, and the game's going to be up. And I think looking back, that was, yeah, not really very logical. Um, to use an analogy, bear with me, I was watching some cricket highlights uh, the other day of the 1979 Cricket World Cup final, England against the West Indies. And England were chasing 270-odd to win, and they were 120-odd for no wicket. Happy days, except that it had taken them the best part of 40 overs to get there. They had Jeff Boycott opening the innings. Um, and I think it's just a good example that limited overs cricket and test cricket, it's the same sport, but it's absolutely a different game. Uh, and I think that's what it is with in-running punting. Um, it's an entirely different proposition to pre-race punting. Um, I've spoken to a lot of um, very successful punters over the years, kind of talking about what I do and what they do. And a few of them have said, yeah, I occasionally have a go in running. Um, but a common theme amongst the very best of them is that they say, no, I've never touched it because I, I know it's just not for me. It's not how I operate. I'm methodical. I go into things in great detail uh, I need the time to to build these things up I don't it, it's not my skill set uh, and it is it is something very different I remember um, when I was doing my English A-levels handing in essays to uh, my English teacher he would say yeah okay that's not a bad starting point now we need to develop it and really but and I'd say there's nothing to build that's it you know what, what I've got happens very quickly um, I'm not a, not a deep thinker, but I can think quite quickly and, and without knowing in the first few years what the things were that, that made me all right at this. Um, I think they are very important. And to go back to the top level racing stuff, um, I think if you watched the horses cross the line in the Dewhurst, I'd be quite happy to back my opinion, you know, against other people's with a, that one wins the guineas, that one's just a two-year-old, that'll be a sprinter, that one will be interesting in a derby trial. Um, but I think some of your, your top pro punters who, who, who bet pre-race would maybe look at that guineas another 50, 100 times, or Dewhurst 50 or 100 times over the winter, add things to their opinion, notice it, whereas I wouldn't. I'd watch it again 50 times and I'd see exactly what I saw the first time. I wouldn't go any deeper. Um, and I think with, without knowing it, uh, in a way, I, I do have the, the skill sets for, for in-running. Um, the other thing is maths. Um, you've got to be able to put a price on these things, again, quickly in, in real time. You hear pundits talk. We, we saw with the Dawn Approach in the derby that, you know, oh, you knew it couldn't possibly win at halfway. If you're punting rather than punditrying, um, then you've got to put a figure on that. You know, when you say you knew you couldn't win at halfway, is that 
five to one? Is it 50 to one? Is it 500 to one? It's the, the maths is important and it's going to sound like I'm having a go at pundits. I'm not having a go at pundits, but you hear a lot of phrases over and over again. Um, just to pick one off the top of my head, if a horse is beaten in a five furlong sprint, um, having missed the break slightly after the race, oh, you missed the break, half a beat over five furlongs, that's it, race over. Um, I can guarantee you between now and the end of the season, there will be dozens, maybe even in the three figures of horses in five furlong handicaps who the first bit of their close up will read slowly away. I'm not saying it's an advantage, um, but it happens all the time. And yet when these horses are beaten, oh, that's it, game over if you meet. So it's putting a number to that. Okay, this horse was that price before the race. It's missed the break. What price is it now? Um, and that is, yeah, something very different. Okay, Matt. So after upsetting every pundit on both channels, um, can you tell us what in-running betting offers that pre-race betting doesn't? Um, I would say two things. It offers, not all the time, but often unbelievable value, um, which is fairly easy to pinpoint, really. If you've got a big race on a Saturday then and you're looking at that race in the, in the paper on Saturday morning, then by the time you're looking at that field, A, you've got the sharpest bookie minds pricing it up earlier in the week. Then you've got all the sharpest punting minds knocking away at any prices that might be out of line. Then you've got Hugh Taylor, price-wise, anybody else going up. By the time you look at it on a Saturday morning, if the horse you fancy is an eight-to-one shot, it's going to be pretty close to an eight-to-one shot. Um, there's really not much, you know, the statistics will show Betfair SP prices, eight-to-one shots win about an eight-to-one shot, you know, percent of the time. Um, in running is not like that because it's so quick, because things are happening all the time and because it's individuals making a price rather than group thinking. Um, you can have wild divergences. Um, to give you an example, in in the future, let's say um, current hot talking horse, Galapan de Champ, um, let's say first time up next year, he starts off in a race in which he's got a stone in hand over six rivals, um, goes off three to one on favourite first time up. So he's famed for his exuberance, his quick flamboyant jumping, let's just suppose for argument's sake, comes down to the first, something's taking him on for the lead, he's asked for a big jump, puts down, hits the fence halfway up, recovers, goes up to challenge the leader again, to come into the second, again sees a stride, puts down, hits it halfway up. Jockey has to shake the reins, flick down the shoulder, concentrate, coming to the third, doesn't ask him for a big one, lets him find his, his own rhythm, lurches out to the left, you know, loses five lengths again, another at that point, nobody is going to think he's still a three to one on shot. But what price is he? There'll be people who think he's still at a stone in hand. OK, he's not three to one on, but he's still a four to six shot. Other people might think with the ground he's already lost, he's already used up a chunk of that stone in hand. On top of that, something either mentally, physically, something's not right. This isn't him. He's a five to one shot. You know, you really could have that divergence of opinion in a way in which pre-race markets you, you just would never get. The, the other thing I think is just the sheer number of opportunities, the number of things you could do. You can obviously 
back and lay, but you can trade positions. You can back a horse you think is going to travel well and lay it at shorter. You can lay a horse you think is not going to travel well and back it at, at bigger. If, for example, I don't know, you're looking at a, a pre-race position as, as a backer and you think that horse is a three to one shot. I think he's going to, you know, travel well and look like winning, but I, I think he probably is about a three to one shot. Well, you might decide that I'm going to put in six to four in running and have the best of both worlds. It doesn't matter to you whether he wins or not. If you've got matched at six to four, then you're away. You can also alter positions. Um, I'm constantly doing that. Um, I think people would think if I, you could hear out loud what's going on in, in my head, you'd think I'm clear. Yep. That's beat. That's beat. Oh, maybe not. Oh, it, oh it's definitely going. Yeah, absolutely. It's going. You, think, well, you just told us it was. So that that dialogue is going on. Things can change wildly, and the the ability to change a position, take a position, and then change it, alter it, is. I, I find that really frustrating these days. If I go to the track, I do still love a day at the track. But if I'm having a bet, and something isn't panning out in running as I like, I find it almost impossible to watch. If I've backed a horse, maybe I think there's going to be a pace collapse so I've backed the hold up horse and then the stalls open and rather than everything taking each other on they all settle into Indian file and mine sat at the back and you think, well if I was at home I'd be laying this and lay and you've just got to sit there and take your medit and I find that really hard um, so yeah the, the opportunities in running betting gives you to do so many things is, is fantastic. Okay and then one of the things that people you know, they think they're getting their pockets picked betting in running. So what would you say to someone who's had a bad experience betting in running? For example, they've backed a horse, looked up, they've got a thousand and one, looked up and it's fallen. Well, that happens um, with, with the picture delays. That, that, that can happen. What I would say is that there are ways to mitigate, um, which I'll come on to in a moment. But there are also, it's part of the payoff. Um, if I were to say to you, I found a pub just outside Exeter that does the best beer, it's beautifully kept and it's 50p a pint, but you've got to get two buses to get there and sometimes they only have three or four beers on, I don't think you'd be focusing on the two buses and the lack, you'd be thinking, I'll give that a go. And within running, I think the, the opportunities that you get are such a big carrot that I think it's absolutely worth looking at, okay, this is a problem and that doesn't help, but how can we mitigate? How could, because the rewards can be so great. Um, I use a piece of kit called Gruss. Um, other software is available, which um, I didn't use. I think I said in my last interview, I tapped away with fingers and thumbs for years until somebody finally convinced me, just do this. And I used Gruss and it's six pounds a month and it's just the most unbelievable value what it enables you to to do and one of the best things for me it's got I'm not at all techie it's got loads of tools you can do all kinds of things I use very few of them but one of them that's invaluable is something called fill or kill where you can set within tenths of a second how long you want your bet to stay in the system so for example that is and I've you know not only do I hear of other people who have done it and been frustrated by it but as I was learning in running I did these kind of things myself all the time you, you see five to one on a screen oh I want to back that and you don't get matched because it's four to one seven to two and then something it belts a fence or you know gets chopped up oh I don't, and now your bet's been taken so you didn't get your bet when you did want it 
you don't you get it taken when you absolutely don't want it taken and that can be infuriating but with fill or kill as i say you can have it set for one second two seconds whatever you want so that if you get the price you want great if you don't it disappears from the system and you're at least not going to have the double whammy of not only did i get this and i do get that um you know that's not for everybody if if people if i want five to one i want to know that i've been matched and i'm on I get that that's frustrating. The will I get matched, won't I? Will I get the price I want? But I think, again, the, the rewards are so great that I think that's worth working with. You know, if you get, I, I backed that short price favourite and, you know, I got some thousand when it won in running, but only a fiver at a thousand and quite a lot of it was at a hundred and some of it was only at 50. Well, boo-hoo, you know, it's not going to be perfect. I think when the rewards are that great, it's worth looking at what you can do to mitigate and and work around that. Um, people, you often hear people's first bets is invariably, isn't it, a, a grand national. Um, there must be people, thousands of them, millions of them, who, oh, my first bet in the national, jumped the first fine and got brought down by something else. They don't then go to, never again, that's it. You know, They have a go, and in running to me, doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to get that. If people have one bad, as you say, I backed it, you know, and because I'm a couple of seconds behind on the pictures, somebody knew it had fallen. If something happens like that, it seems to be right. No more in running rather than, OK, well, let's see. And, and picture delays obviously are are a problem. You need to know where you are. Um, racing TV pictures are about a second and a half behind live. Their streams are a lot quicker than that. You can get those on Betfair. So these days, at least for half of the racing, um, you're really not too far behind the other half is more of a problem but knowing where you are is obviously important so those two things alone knowing how far behind you are and where you can play in a race having something like the fill or kill where you're not going to get I think these things can can mitigate against the problems which undoubtedly are there but I do think that yeah people for whatever reason one bad experience and that's it it's not for me Okay, Matt. Well, then we've got another live, uh, not live, but um, actual demonstration going on here. So do you think you see things in running that other people don't? Um, yes and no. More no than yes. Um, obviously, people who don't watch much racing, then yes, I'm going to see things they don't. Um, and there are people who watch plenty of racing who don't really know what they're looking at, and you're going to see more than them. But there are an awful lot of people... Um, who do know exactly what they're looking at and, and in that respect no I, I don't think I am seeing things that they aren't it's um, as I said earlier a question of what you're seeing and putting the maths in with that 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 is the skill and in terms of not seeing things that uh, other people don't we've, we've got Altior here winning a, a champion chase I think if you sat down a room full of experts and asked them what would happen to Altior in this race, for which he started a short price favourite, I would think an overwhelming majority would say he wouldn't necessarily travel with, with a great deal of enthusiasm. He might be niggled along at times, maybe hit a flat spot. His jumping wouldn't be as exuberant as some, but ultimately he'd just be too strong, too powerful, too good, and he would win, but it may not be pretty along the way. Um, that's exactly what happened, as we'll see, but that didn't stop him going to eight to one in running again in Cheltenham markets where, you know, there's, there's plenty of money, plenty of liquidity knocking about in there. So what we're going to do is have a, a look at it um, and, and see why that may have been and, and why 
you know, it wasn't necessarily a problem. Oh, let me kill the sound. Sorry, Barty. Uh, right, here's Altior, held up in fifth on the inside. Um, we've got Min, Duvan. Um, if I were looking to get involved with a horse like Altior, um, one of the easiest ways of explaining it, um, you often hear about petrol in the tank and things like that for horses, and that's not a bad analogy, um, but it also involves racing styles. Some horses, something like Duvan, you can see traveling here, will give you most of what he's got without you asking for it. They want to race, they're keen, they're enthusiastic. They may be going at 70, 80% of what they can give without being asked anything at all. Something like Altior is entirely different. You get the feeling he's constantly going at 20, 30%. And if Nico gives him in the, oh, you want another 5% or oh, another 5%. But it doesn't mean that that petrol's not in the tank. So if I were watching Altior thinking he might not win, I'd either be looking for his jumping to be, to make such big blunders that they could be race ending or to lack such fluency that he got himself in a really big hole. Or also if Nico, I think he's a horse who liked a bit of, room to maneuver in so if you see here Nico's quite often his hands are just moving he's niggling along if you look at Duvan just hacking along taking a lovely hold well Altior's never like that there's almost constantly a little niggle can I have a bit more can I have a bit more don't lose touch here Ooh, one goes there um, but that's just his style it doesn't mean that it's not there when required so again I talked about him needing space there's a few times when he's niggled into little gaps and running in behind horses, that's fine. The only time I would have worried about him is if he was pulled wide, Nico was really properly driving along and he's still losing ground, then you start to worry. But that just never happens. You can see Min on his outside there in the green cap, another horse jumping and certainly traveling much more fluently than Altior is, but it's still not a problem. If he's niggling, staying in touch, he's roughly where he wants to be. Slightly out jump there, but it's not a big blunder, a little niggle. And every time he gives him the little niggle, gets him back where he wants. Min, again, if you're just looking at these two horses and you didn't know, you'd want to be on Min. He's clearly traveling better than Altior. Coming down the hill here. There goes Duvan out of the race. And at this point, he doesn't want to strike the front. He was almost left in front there, but he doesn't want to be in front that soon. And he now gets shuffled back a little bit, so he has to niggle again. But again, a little niggle, and he's back where he wants to be behind them. The hands are moving. His, to quote Ruby, his arse isn't in the saddle. It's a niggle along to just keep him in contention. Min again, travelling obviously well on the outside, but Nico's still not really asked for anything. Coming to the downhill fence. Doesn't wing it, but good enough. Again, niggle, but it, it's a niggle and I'm okay. I'm niggle and I'm okay. It's never the full down drive. And by this point, I think you've already hit the point where he traded at eight to one, bizarrely. Min, again, clearly, if you didn't know the horses, is the one who's traveling. But Nico, he's in behind horses. He can't, can't stroke doesn't want to go for everything because there isn't the gap. But as soon as in a moment, you'll see the difference. There's a gap. Now I want to go, so he's got the daylight to go into. Nico is now asking him, and cheerio. And from that point up the hill, it's only ever going to end one way.
So in essence there, the, the reason I'm showing this, you've got a horse doing almost exactly what everybody thought it would do, having gone off as a short price favourite, yet in running eight to one. Well, Matt, you've mentioned in, um, in, in previous interviews that we did for the Betting People series that you have to sometimes chisel out small amounts on uninspiring racing, but then you take bigger positions at other times. So what are you looking for when you're really going to make it, you know, really go for a big play? Um, I guess you want everything lined up. We've, we've got another video here that, that illustrates that. I think the first part of the jigsaw is maybe looking to go against the market. If you look in running either at a horse that's struggling, that you think people are going to want to lay, do I want to back it? Or a horse that you know is cruising, everybody wants to be on it, do I want to lay it? And of course, there's no point in just going you know, against the market, laying every horse that cruises. You need, you, know, you need to have an idea that it might, might work in your favour. Um, the next thing is a bit of evidence to back that up. So you might have an opinion, uh, in this case, a horse who was seemingly travelling well, but you know, I wasn't convinced was, and then I'm looking for that extra cherry on the top to tell me something that, yep, you're right. And then, and then you go in. So what we've got here is 2019, I think, that could be wrong, champion hurdle. Um, and the horse involved is Lorena, ridden by Ruby Walsh here. And she came into this champion hurdle slightly strangely in that she was very prominent in the market, despite having form that really didn't entitle her to be. Um, she'd won some minor races very impressively and could have been anything but there, there was no definitive proof that you know she was worth her place in the market, although it was possible. Um, she was even shorter in running, because by this point, Bouvardaire has fallen uh, down the far side. Uh, Apple's Jade here, as we'll see, is about to weaken out of it. So two of the main rivals are already out the way. She was a fairly short price anyway. Um, so in running, she was trading fairly short. But I was thinking for, for some way that, you know, Ruby maybe wasn't sat on as much as much as it appeared. So I'm looking for more evidence of that and we'll see it coming shortly. If I run this video on, Apple's Jade is about to weaken right out of it here. Ruby adjusting his goggles there. So you can already sense, oh, I want on that in running for, from, from the market as they turn to come down the hill. This is the eventual winner here in third. Um, Melon in front and Ruby cruising up on the outside. Um, I'll pause it here. This is, um, as I'll talk about in a moment, I'm thinking at this point that he's maybe not sat on as much as he appears to, but I don't know that at this point. I'm waiting for a sign before I make a move that, that that's the case uh, and that's about to come up here. She comes down to this hurdle. doesn't jump it particularly well. This is the key point here. I'm just going to rewind that back a couple of strides. As she hits this hurdle, this horse makes a move to come in between her on the inside. Now, Ruby may watch this and say, I'm talking nonsense. But I would contend that never in a million years would Ruby, if he had enough horse, you can see him there trying to edge over to close the gap, but he simply doesn't have enough horse. I don't think in a million years 
he would have let that horse up on his inside if he had enough horse to hold it in. I'm going to go back again. The, the beauty of this in terms of um, getting everything matched, if I pause it there, as soon as I'd seen Ruby make that move, I want to hold that one in, I can't. Jockeys sometimes, if they're, if they're not holding on to as much as it looks, will maybe not throw the kitchen sink at a, at a, at a horse, perhaps because they want to give the impression to other riders that they're holding on to more. Or if you've got a horse like that where the petrol's running empty, you don't want to put a gun to its head to use the expression and um, you know, end up in a worse place, it, it all falls apart. So I think he has one little, can I hold it in? No, I can't. And at that point, to me, that says he's sitting on nothing. And I can lay that, not with complete impunity, but um, yeah, I was happy to have a very big lay at that point. In that, I talked about the fill or kill earlier on the grass. The beauty of that, I would have had it in two and a half, three seconds in the system so you're hoping to or I'm hoping to lay everything that's trying to get on her at that point up to a certain price but also for the two or three seconds after I've laid it the money's there on the screen for people to say that much that you yeah, have some of that and the beauty in this situation is that as soon as he doesn't close the gap or can't shut the door he sits up so for people watching I can have that price Ruby sat there when in my head it, it's already over because I've seen enough that he's not sitting on anything. So if we watch it here one more time, doesn't jump the hurdle well. You can see him moving his hands, but also trying to edge across and close that gap. Right, I can't close the gap, but then he just sits there rather than throwing everything at it and maybe falling in a hole sooner than he would have done. And at that point, all my bet will have been matched because people are thinking, well, that's going fine but eventually push has to come to shove. And this horse we knew was a very strong stare going into it. It's, it's very much all over from here. And obviously at this point, probably well before, you know that your money's perfectly safe. Um, I'll pause it there rather than striding up the hill, but to make the point that that extra cherry on the top of information is what you, well, you need what, I like to have before making a big bet. Um, there was something quite similar uh, last season over the jumps with a horse called Protector at uh, Aintree, um, stepping up to three miles for the first time, uh, running against Native River, former Gold Cup winner in pretty deep ground um, and over racing, jumping perfectly, but tanking along, doing too much. We didn't know if it was that class. We didn't know if it got the trip. And for most of the second half of the final circuit, I was waiting for Native River, who had been niggled and pushed and shoved as he always was, and for Protector at uh, right coming off the bridle, at which point I was ready to launch in, thinking as soon as it does, that's race over. Um, and it never came off the bridle. It eased its way to the front, one by half the track, and Native River was retired on the spot, I think, after the race. Um, so that's why I like to have the extra cherry. Obviously, you're not getting, you're not laying as a shorter price or on the flip side of the coin, backing at a bigger price if you wait for the extra evidence, but I would rather have that um, so that I'm as sure as myself as I can be. All right, Matt, we've seen some examples you've shown us, you know, obviously after the race, it's quite easy, but you know, you, but we all know you've made it pay, so we know you're not, um, you're not sort of making it all up, but surely you must get it wrong sometimes. And how badly 
does it when it goes wrong does it go wrong yeah I, I get things wrong I would say every day um, sometimes they're big things sometimes they're small things sometimes you get away with it and sometimes you don't um, you can get it wrong for any number of reasons sometimes it's misreading a, a horse's body language um, sometimes it's misreading a, a jockey's body language um, you can make errors that way but th there can be all kinds of things to give you a few examples one um, I remember doing a lot of money on a, a three-year-old sprinter making its reappearance a few years ago um, and it'd been a talented but nutty two-year-old making its first reappearance I think it was about 10 to 1 at Sandown um, very keen early doors and then made a big move right down the centre of the track which in those days this is several years ago um, there was a horrible track bias the further you were away from the rail on the sprint track at Sandown the worse it was and this horse had over raced made a big move halfway through came to join the leaders tanking and, and was trading at, I don't know somewhere between two three to one um, having gone off at tens and I thought well if you really want to back this horse with that profile having made that move down that part of the track then help yourselves and just kept in putting lays kept in putting lays um, and of course it strode effortlessly clear um, and was Batash um, that was the first time to me at least that he really showed what he might go on and do so sometimes getting things wrong is just things that you know you didn't know about a horse and, and you can maybe use going forwards um, another one which um, we won't show the footage because most people can probably picture it but um, Frankel's famous guineas um, I laid Frankel at about halfway to which I'm sure people are thinking the greatest horse of all time up against some group three and handicappers with a 15 length start yeah you sound very shrewd very definitely with two O's um, my, my logic at the time uh, he was about threes on at halfway and to my mind there were two possibilities either he'd been largely run away with he, he had been a very free horse who they were trying to teach to settle and that you know Tom Queeley had not completely lost control but the horse was in control this was all going to go horribly wrong as he came back to them and went through the pack or it was going to be you know the most amazing thing I'd ever seen and to my mind at halfway again you've got to think like that I thought it was pretty well 50-50 between each of those two possibilities so laying at one to three I thought was, was quite reasonable and I maintain that somewhere in a parallel universe he did fall back through the pack and people are saying oh they need to teach that thing to settle if it's ever going to fulfill its potential but yeah that was another one that, that was one um, where I talked earlier about wanting the cherry on the top there I couldn't wait if I'd waited to you know he's coming back he's coming right back to them the price is gone I couldn't wait for the evidence there I had to go with you know a, a gut feel if you like but that was one I got horribly wrong um, from a backing point of view um, a horse called Bobsworth going for a second gold cup it was a little bit like Altior over it even more so very unglamorous um, needed to be niggled and pushed and asked wasn't a fluent jumper but had won one gold cup and a Hennessy had won the big race in Ireland and just if he was in contention and his jumping and his traveling hadn't put him out of the race then he'd shown time again that 
you know, he would get the job done in the closing stages. So in this, he was going for a second Gold Cup. And as the race went on and he hadn't made any bad blunders and he hadn't travelled too badly for him, I was getting more and more on and more and more on. And coming towards the last, it was him and Sylvia, Sylvia Naka Conti, um, who was a, a very good horse, but not as strong a finisher, certainly over that trip as Bobsworth. And it was between the two of them coming to the last, even more on, even more, you know, he's just going to win. He'll outstay Sylvanaka Conti. Um, he will win. And by this point, I was all in. Jumped the last. And as they jumped the last, one of them dived to the right. One of them dived to the left. And three rags came up the middle. And they finished fourth and fifth. And as they crossed the line, I had no idea what had just happened. And several years on, I'm not really much the wiser. Sometimes you just, I don't get, you know, we don't get things right all the time. Sometimes as I say, it can be a batash where you learn something about a horse you didn't know. Sometimes, you know, you're still literally none the wiser years after the event. Um, and you've asked me to pick out something else on, on the lines of things that you never would expect. So we've got the video for that one here. OK, so this is a supreme novices hurdle from a few years ago and a horse called Somerville Boy, uh, who's in these colours here. Um, they're coming down the hill at this point, or they're about to. He's in behind the leaders. Going well enough, he's occasionally been niggled along, but there's plenty going well all around him. The crucial point is this is the real guts of the race where you're separating the wheat from the chaff. Um, jumps that one, not brilliantly, but okay. He's in behind. And the crucial part of this story is about to happen as they come down to this flight, which is the second last. So he's in behind here. And if you watch this mistake, there. Now, at that point, having not only made that mistake, lost his hind legs as well, lost the momentum, been shuffled back, it's hard to tell with a drone. You could tell exactly where he was, but I would say he's not in the first six or seven. He's lost several lengths at a crucial stage. My guess would have been what happened to him there, that, you know, he finished 15th, was reported sore behind, and we hope to have him back next season um, because that was such a jolting mistake and with what happened with, with his back legs. The idea that he would go on to win from there, if somebody paused time at that point and said you could lay some of a boy at five to one in running to win that race, I would have laid it for every penny in my bank, my house, and at least one of my children. Um, so... Sometimes things happen that you just can't believe happened, as we'll see here. Which one is he mounting? He's dropped right back to here. So he does incredibly well to even get back into contention. And if memory serves, he even fluffs the last as well. He's got into contention, looks for a jump, doesn't get it. And yet still storms up the hill, nailing poor old Kalashnikov. And gets there on the line, or just before. And that, as I say, is something that there are many things that you can get wrong for all kinds of reasons. I just wouldn't have thought that could have happened. Um, and you just never know. All right, Matt, well, thanks for that demonstration. Just as well, you didn't uh, take a stance on the race. But uh, so finally, what frustrates you about this game in running? 
Um, I think my biggest frustration, I, I will go to my grave, I think, convinced that racing has missed a big opportunity with in-running betting. Um, I think it's a classic example of racing being so many factions and camps and for all the talk of, you know, we're all in it together and we've all got to grow the pie and it just never plays out like that. And I think the stuff with the lack of a level playing field, it's 2022, you know, people have been saying for 20 years now, you know, and as I said earlier, with, with the racing TV pictures, um, certainly with their stream, they're not far off the drone. It's a, a, a fraction of a second behind the drones. You've got the, the angle of the drones, but in terms of the stream, that's perfectly doable. Their TV channel is a little behind that. Um, but the, the Sky Sports at the races before them is still woeful, both in terms of the TV pictures and the streaming. Um, and they obviously have their reasons. They're not interested in, you know, helping Betfair. But I, I understand, that, you know, Betfair have cornered the market. It's Betfair who have in running. and But it's just so depressing, as I say, that what in running betting could be. And not only from the point of the picture delays, but what that then leads to, that this narrative that it's, you know, shark infested waters and, and you know, and the reporting on it, when, when you hear, what do you ever hear about in running betting other than, oh, that one was a mile clear and didn't win. It got traded at 1.01. That one came from the clouds and did win. It got done at a thousand and, you know, okay, that's very exciting for the people who are laying the 1.01s or back in the thousand, but it's not the, to me, it's not the exciting bit. And, and, and to use a recent example, um, Galapin de Champ, when he, when he fell at Cheltenham, that was all you heard afterwards. Done at 1.01 as he crumpled on landing after the last. Bob Ollinger was done at 1,000. Um, and it was really fascinating. The early part, the whole talk in the build-up to the race was of Bob Ollinger's en uh, engine, but not the most natural jumper against this fantastic, exuberant jumping machine, Galapin de Champ. And, you know, th this clash of styles, how would it pan out? And in the early stages, Galapin de Champ actually ballooned the first few. Bob probably jumped better than he did over the first three or four. But then Galapanda Champ settled into that rhythm, flick, flick, flick over the fences. Bob Ollinger under pressure started belting. And that to me, that's the exciting bit about in-running betting. And you never hear about that. You only ever hear 1.01, a thousand. Don't do this unless you're on the quickest pitches. And I think that whole thing is what I find depressing. What it could be if the pictures were level, what it could be if it was marketed in a different way. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe if we had live pictures for everyone and we had, you know, plenty of stuff in the same way you get the first 20 pages of the Racing Post about, you know, who tips what. If you got stuff, even a little segment on in-running pointers, things to look for, and you had live pictures, maybe there would be no more interest. Maybe there's only a certain pool of people who are interested, but I really don't think it's the case and, and when you hear people I just find it depressing how, how can we get more people betting on, on on racing how can we get well in running we, we, we could try mm, if only we could get more young people how because they like fast moving and they like things with screens what could well in running it but you know here we are 20 years later and so yeah that's what I find depressing about in running 
Brilliant. Well, let's hope you stop being depressed about that and more people come on, come into it. All those kids get out of the arcades and get on the in running. Not kids, over 18s only, of course. The fastest finger wins. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, Matt Mantle, thank you very much. Pleasure. New betting people interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.